Why don't we start with a prayer and then we'll get into the lesson. If you'll join me. Lord, we pause this morning to give you thanks. To thank you that uh, we have a church where we can worship. That we have brothers and sisters to fellowship with. That we have uh, uh, friends and loved ones. That we have the gifts that you've given us. And we pause in this time of year especially and try to focus on ways sometimes to make changes and, and to grow before you. And it's our prayer that you'll give us wisdom, guidance, and direction of how we need to do that. To be more fully engaged in your plan this year. Because that's where we want to be. Bless the class this morning. Uh, speak through this message. Help us uh, to gain some insight into your love and your character and your plans and desires for us. We pray that your spirit will be at work in our midst as we're here. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, in the spirit of cartoons, I had my own I brought you. I love the Dilbert cartoon, Christmas Morning, so I've thrown it up here. Three frames. Merry Christmas, here's a hundred bucks. To which Dogbert says, and here's a hundred bucks for you. Dilbert says, we could save another step by setting up an electronic transfer with an annual recurring option. <laughs> I wire you a hundred bucks each year and you wire me a hundred bucks each year. Dogbert says, excellent. And then Dogbert said, or we could not give gifts, to which Dilbert said, hush your crazy talk. <laughs> and I really liked that because I thought, you know, how do you value a gift? Do you value it by its cost? Do you value it by the thoughtfulness behind it? Do you value it by the attitude of the giver? You can look at cost. When I was... Uh... <laughs> oh, mercy. This is like forever on the internet, isn't it? When I was a young lad, high school boy... Um, I had a number of uh, uh, people I had to buy gifts for one year. And I just didn't have a lot of money. So I decided that I was going to... Uh, see, here's the deal. There is this great story, but I can't tell it on the internet. Because somewhere, somehow, it's going to get back. If I had assurance from whoever's editing the class today... That we were taking this section out. I would tell you a great story. But I don't. So let me just say that sometimes cost is important. But I don't think cost is really important. Except to the extent that it might reflect sometimes an attitude. You know sometimes people. You know the widow's might. The widow who had only a cent and gave that cent. You know, it reflected an attitude of, 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 of a heart that, that was incredible. But, but cost is not really what we're interested in in gifts, whether it's one we give or one we receive. What makes a gift valuable is how much thought went behind it. And that might include how much you need it, how much you want it, how much it fits in. I, I have the hardest time buying gifts for Becky. Because you would think, since she's the beat of my heart, that I would know exactly what she wants, needs, desires. But I just, I have trouble doing it. 
And yet she's so creatively able to figure out what to give people. It always amazes me. Some people have a knack for that. It's not one of mine. But it's one I wish I had because I want my gift to be thoughtful, right? Also, attitude's important. I don't like to give gifts with strings attached. And I certainly don't like to receive gifts with strings attached. I knew a fella who used to give gifts. But there wasn't just a string attached. It was generally a chain. You were required to use the gift exactly the way that person wanted you to use the gift, exactly the time that person wanted you to use it. And if you didn't, then you were uh, uh, an ingrate and that person was never going to give you a gift again and would rub your nose in it for the rest of your life. And anytime that person came to visit, the first thing they wanted to know is where's the gift to make sure you'd been using it right. Don't give me that gift. I don't want the strings attached. I'll tell you, this class has given the most thoughtful gifts I've ever received in my life. The painting uh, uh, of my dad this year, just an incredible gift. You know, some people, I mean, how do you value a gift? Well, Paul wrote about God's gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. This week we're going to do it in an overview fashion. Next week we're going to get a little more charismatic about the thing. By that I mean we'll be talking about the charismatic gifts. But this week we just need to get a general overview. So Paul writes about God's gifts. And as we look at what he had to say, I want us to ask a couple of questions. I want us to try and figure out what are the gifts of God that God's given to us as believers that Paul writes about. And not only what are the gifts, but why does God give them? Are there strings attached? What are the strings? Does God give them to us as a payment for something we've earned or done? Or does God give them to us on some other basis? I can remember as a child having arguments with people. And I think I was a bit of a legalist growing up. And so I can remember uh, uh, someone saying to me that, Mark, you're a legalist, you think you earn your salvation when the Bible says it's a gift. And my response was, well, it may be a gift, but if someone gives you a gift, you still have to take it and open it. And it wasn't until I got a little older that I thought, well, wait a minute, that's not true always. God gave Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden and they didn't have to open it or receive it. I mean, he just gave it to them. So why does God give these gifts? And what is God's attitude as a giver when he gives them? I want those questions in your mind in this overview class. They'll make more sense as we go through the class. But that's where we start. Now, we got to begin by getting our terms straight. We had a Christmas celebration. We had a ton of people. We had over 50 people. We had family from as far as Boston with, with cousins galore. And, and uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's just fantastic to have over, you know, almost two dozen kids running around talking about their gifts. And I listened for the words they were using. And I did hear the word gifts. 
And I heard, hey, what presents did you get? Then I heard words like, I got a haul. Look at my loot. We got lots of different words that those kids were using. So being a fellow with a degree in biblical languages, I couldn't help but decide if we're going to talk about Paul, let's get our terms straight first and see what words he uses when he writes about God's gifts. Uh, I'll warn you now, he doesn't use hall or loot. (laughs) Okay, so here are the words. First word we'll look at is just your word, your basic word for a present. In Greek, it's doron, doron. Say it with me, doron. Doron, like uh, is the doron the hinges? Okay. Um, Doron. Now, that's your basic present in Greek. That's, hey, here's a present. Here's your doron. That's the word, for example, that Matthew used when talking about the Magi. By the way, if you're Roman Catholic, today is the Sunday, I think, that they celebrate the Feast of the Magi. But that's just a freebie we throw in. Um, They offered him, the Christ child, gifts. Doron. Gold, frankincense, and mirror. That's your basic present. So they came and they gave him presents. Um... Doron is uh, used also, for example, in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 10, uh, the two witnesses die. And I've made up an obituary for them. But the point that I would pull out that I put in the obituary is what the, the John, the revelator, says. He says, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, the two witnesses dying, And make merry and exchange presents. Doron. They'll give each other gifts. That's the basic plain and simple word for gift. You with me? So Paul who writes about gifts dozens of times. Uses the word doron once. He uses the basic everyday word for gift only one time. Paul uses that word in Ephesians 2 where he says, By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the doron. It is the gift of God. That's the only time he uses it. Outside of that, Paul uses a bunch of other words. And so let's look at some of these other words. The next word I want you to look at is not a a plain and simple everyday present. But a very formal, a legal, an official gift. Um, this is in Greek, Doria. Say with me, Doria. Doria. Very good. Um, I can't think of anything goofy to say about it like Doron. Um, Doria. Uh, no, that won't work. <laughs> Um, you're just going to have to work on remembering that one. But we need to change the picture because it's an official gift. It's like the, the way uh, uh, the queen might make a knight and give him the gift of knighthood. 
It's the word that was used for a fee or an honorarium that was given to someone. It's the word used for a king giving a grant or a dispensation or a position. It's the official formal gift. Does that make sense? Okay. Now Paul uses this word several times. Paul uses this word, but every time he does it, he only uses it when he's referencing God as the giver. God's the official giver, as Paul uses this word. God is the king who gives the official and formal gifts. It is the, the bestowal by the authority of something uh, uh, upon the submissive. Does that make sense? So let's look at some of these passages where Paul uses it. Ephesians 3, 7. Paul says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Now think about gift as an official recognition by the, the governing authority. As, as the, the title as the dispensation of, of, a, of, a, of a right, that's the word Paul's using. So it, 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 does that add a little extra meaning to a passage you've read before? Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. God officially, formally bestowed upon me his grace in such a way that it, it's my responsibility now to be a minister. Paul's saying, the ministerial job that I have, his calling, to use a 21st century Baptist word. Paul's saying, my calling is one that's official. Comes from this official giving of God's grace. But now look, where else Paul uses it? In Ephesians 3, 7, he says, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's official gift so you see we not only have Paul was not only knighted to be a minister but all of us have been formally dispensed by the king of kings grace You've, I mean, this is better than an income tax return okay, this is not gee the government's giving me back some of the money that I overpaid them this is the king of kings is making an official announcement and an official dispensation and an official and formal gift of his grace to you. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Paul uses it in Romans 5 twice, actually three times, but he uses it to talk about God's gift, God's official gift being not only his grace, but the righteousness that we have in Christ. He's not only dispensed to you his grace, but he has dispensed to you his righteousness. You've got it. It's official. It's formal. It's your title. You and I are knights and ladies of righteousness, made so by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what Paul has to say. Now, those are a couple of words. Let's throw out another word. Paul uses this word that's really a free present. 
the emphasis is on no strings attached. Absolutely free. Nothing done to earn, deserve, merit, or warrant it. This is a freebie. You get this one, Paul says, from the Lord regardless of what you've done, who you are, and how well you're going to handle it. You get it simply off your faith in Christ. This is, you ready to see what you get for free? And this is hard for us to handle because we live in the 21st century capital apex of history. We're not just the capital center of the world. In all of civilization of man, there's never been any more capitalistic people than we are in America today. I mean, look at it. Look at Obama's, President Obama, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Look at President Obama's health plan. Now, it's a plan that arguably may help a whole lot of folks. But even the folks it's going to help, there are a bunch of them, probably in our midst, that are up in arms about it. Because it just doesn't seem capitalistic, it seems socialistic. It may help me, but if, it's, if it violates my values, I don't want the help. Seems to be the attitude because we are a very capitalistic society. And it's ingrained all the way down to the smallest part of your little toenail. If you live in America and have grown up in this culture. If you've got immigrant status, it may not be so. But I'm speaking to right now to folks like me who've grown up in this country generation after generation after generation who have heard all of our lives expressions like there's no such thing as a free if you want to dance you got to pay the piper or band depending upon how you want to dance (laughs) I had a textbook my minor is in economics. I had a textbook entitled, There Ain't No Such Thing as a Free Lunch. In a class I had on environmental economics at Texas Tech, go Raiders, Team Leach. That's all I'll say. I had a textbook entitled that. Okay. Now I'm here to tell you, you got to set aside all of that for a minute. Because I want to tell you about some presents God gives you that truly are free. And it's going to be the hardest thing in the world for you to truly live. Even though you'll mentally say, oh, that's really nice. I expect that. Or I appreciate that. I respect it. Then you're going to walk out and you're going to think, oh, God can't love me. I'm sinful. Oh, I've messed up. I've got this. Oh, I don't have that. I don't have this because of what I've done. Because it is so deeply ingrained in us. So you got to really, really, really fight to live the truth of what I'm saying. Now, you ready for your freebies? These are free. I mean, really are. Here we go. Paul says, I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Okay, well, how does that help us? Well, it helps us in that we see that Paul's using this word dorion, dorion, the free word, Paul's using this word to truly mean free. He's telling the Corinthians, when I preached to you, I didn't charge you for it. I, I didn't, when, when, when you, you, look, I have a friend 
who's a New York uh, lawyer, and he's Jewish. And he's always amazed when he comes down here and visits our class because he compares it to his synagogue experience. And he says, how much do y'all have to pay to go to church there? That was my expression. What? He said, well, you know, like we pay to go to synagogue. I said, you mean like you tie? Oh, no, you pay. It's like country club dues. I said, really? He says, yeah, y'all don't pay to go to church? I said, no. He says, oh, come on, you got to. I said, no. He says, they just let you come? (laughs) Well, needless to say, he's real thrilled by it. If he moves down here, man, he's coming. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, you, you get this message free. This doesn't cost you anything, okay? Paul says the same thing. He says, hey, we didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. He tells that to the Thessalonians. Remember, we didn't eat it without paying for it. You're saying, where's the word gift? It's there, the without paying for it. That's really the word gift. What it means, what it says literally, we didn't eat your bread as a gift, as a free gift. It's just instead of translating it as a free gift, the English people figure you and I will understand it better if they put it in without paying for it. But that's what it means. It's this word Dorian. So Paul knows what the word means. He uses it very clearly whether he's talking about the message he preached or talking about the food that he ate. He knows Dorian means something that you do or you get for free. Now, if he knows it in those two passages, don't you think he knew it when he wrote Romans 3.24? That the Christian is justified by his grace as a free present. No payment. No charge. Absolutely free. No strings attached. Grace as a gift. A free present through the redemption that is in Christ. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be rich enough. You don't have to be nice enough. You don't have to be popular enough. You don't have to to be any of those things to have the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You just need to belong to the Lord. You just need to give yourself to Him. I'm on your team. I belong to you. You You give yourself to the Lord Your gift, your gift is redemption. It's justification. It's being declared righteous. It's a free present. All right, now, I've left aside at this point the word Paul uses more than any other to talk about gifts. We're going to hit it now. But I got to tell you, some scholars believe Paul made the word up. Some scholars think that the word charisma or charismata is made up by Paul. Because it's not used by anybody else, really. Oh, you'll find it in, in 1 Peter 4.10. But scholars think that Peter, 1 Peter was written after Paul had been preaching and out there doing his thing. So it, it had to be, actually, because Peter references the writings of Paul. So you can look up, some Bible dictionaries will tell you that this word charisma was made up by Paul as a gift word. I don't know if it's made up by him. 
You don't see it much in secular usage either. But it's at least fashioned and sculpted by Paul. Now, what word comes to your mind that we use today that helps us with charisma as a gift? Charismatic. That's where we get our word charismatic from. And the charismatic movement and the charismatic gifts are something that interests most people. They polarize a lot of people on both sides. Pro-charismatic gift, anti-charismatic gift. Line, polar difference. they, They polarize on both sides. And Paul writes about it over and over and over again. I want to concentrate on what we consider the charismatic issues and the charismatic gifts from Paul's perspective next week. But before we can fairly do that, we need to spend some time seeing how Paul used the word. Because what we're going to find is he did not use it the way we do. Paul did not mean by charisma what we mean by the charismatic gifts. Paul's definition is something different. When Paul writes about charisma, what Paul is talking about is a concrete expression of God's giving. That's what makes sense of that picture where the guy's pouring out concrete. Okay, it's not that kind of a concrete expression, but it just sort of struck me as fitting way to remember it. So you remember that picture of the guy pouring out concrete, and when you think about the charisma gift, think about Paul saying that here is an objective, visible, or perceived, a concrete expression of God's giving. And that's what Paul's writing about. And so we can take Paul and what he has to say on the charismatic gifts and we can understand. If, if we see it this way, let me draw something real quick here. If we see it this way, this is for Paul the concrete, concrete expression of, of the gifts. This is the charismatic, charisma, out of focus. Let's fix that. There we go. Here is the world. Now, this is a concrete expression of God's giving. And I think you'll see as we work through it that part of that, here we'll give it this part, part of that are what we consider today charismatic gifts. We'll do those green for go. Charismatic gifts, they're part of it. But that's not the only ways that God has given us concrete expressions of his gifts. And the problem we have is we have a tendency to read these passages where Paul uses the word charismata. 
We have a tendency to read them with all of our church issues and all of our church history issues and all of our Pentecostal debates and all of our speaking in tongues talk and all of our healing questions and everything that we can watch on TBN or everything that we can see at the religious rallies that some look authentic and some look like a charlatan as people sometimes talk about Jesus and sometimes add three more syllables to his name and talk about Jesus and you know, we can take the whole thing and we have a, a tendency to read these passages with that brain that we have and that mind instead of just reading it for the way Paul wrote it. And if we read it the way Paul wrote it, we'll learn a lot that will help educate us about these issues. But we won't run the risk of misreading his scriptures. So, for example, when I was a younger man, I was trying to understand as a high school kid why I had friends who believed in miracles and I went to a church that did not. And so I sat down with some of the learned people in my church and said, why don't we believe in miracles? And they said, well, here's the reason why. Miracles, you only had miracle working power if you actually had your hands laid on by an apostle or the Lord Jesus. And all of those people have died out. And they couldn't pass on the gift because you had to be the original apostle to do it. And they had some scriptures that kind of backed that up. So I embraced that for a while. Uh, I'm not there today. Uh, I'll tell you where I am next week very clearly. Um... But I'm, I'm not there today. And I'd like you to look at these scriptures and try to remove yourself from, from the, the, the mindset we have today and plug yourself into Paul's mindset. So with that, let's look at them. I'm going to start in Romans. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 11. We're in Romans 1, verse 11. Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. This word for gift is, in the Greek, um, charisma. This is, this is it. I may impart some, and then he adds the word spiritual, pneumatico. I want to impart to you a spiritual gift. Now, see, when I was a kid, I was, a young man, I was thinking that this passage meant Paul had to be there physically to lay hands on someone so they'd get a spiritual gift. But that's not what Paul means. Charisma is a concrete expression of God's giving. What Paul wants to do is he wants to be there in person to understand and, and explain and work with them and help their faith. He wants to teach them. He wants to encourage them. And, and he can do it better. He can give them this concrete expression this of, of, of understanding of something that's real if he's there face to face instead of just writing a letter to a church where he had never been. And this is what makes sense of the next verse. Paul says, that is, which means in other words, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's wanting. He wants to, to, to do this. He uses the same thing later, this same word in Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15. And see if this doesn't make sense. And you, I'm using the English Standard Version. I like it 99% of the time. I don't care for the way it translates here as much. But we're going to make sense of it together. And so as long as we can make sense of it, we keep with it. Paul says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Now the free gift, his word there, is not the word that we had for a free gift. His word there is um, charisma. The charisma. The concrete expression of God's giving, what we can objectively see, what we objectively have, it's not like the trespass that we could objectively see of Adam's. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift. Paul's changed words here. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. Here Paul's using the word Doria, which is the official gift. Oops. So Paul's saying the objective concrete expression. Jesus Christ crucified is the concrete expression of God's love and gift to you. The, the righteousness we have through that is not like the sin that we have through Adam. If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, the official pronouncement, the, the, the knighthood, the, the, the formal bestowal by the sovereign, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift, here again, it is the formal gift, is not like the result of that one man's sin. The formal gift you have of being declared righteous is not like the result of Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift, here he shifts back to charisma. But the charisma, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now this isn't talking about speaking in tongues. This is not talking about healing. This is not talking about any charismatic gift that we think of in the charismatic issues of the church. He's talking about the concrete manifestation. You have, you, look, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are a concrete manifestation of the righteousness of God. You want to see the righteousness of God? Look at any believer in Christ because you've got it. It's been formally announced. The king has declared it. You have the righteousness of God. So you want to see someone who is the righteousness of God? You want to see that gift? You want a concrete manifestation that God cares, loves, and gives? Look to the person sitting next to you and if they believe in Jesus, you see it right there. Because the official pronouncement has been made. And he says it's so different the way the concrete manifestation of this has come through one man than it is the trespass that came through Adam. Because the trespass led to death for everybody. But this gift, this official pronouncement is not death. This gift is life. Christ said, I came that you might have 
life. And that's what he's saying. Charisma is the word he uses. Look at uh, Romans 6.23. This is just the very next chapter. He didn't like stop and say, oops, new chapter. He's just going. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. That word free gift? Charisma. The charismatic gift. The charismata. The free gift. He's not using the word for free there. That's kind of added by the English standard version. You won't get it in a lot of other translations. His point is, is it free? Yes. Is that a bad translation? No. But it doesn't grab the word charismata and lay it at your doorstep for you. He said the concrete expression of God's love for you is eternal life. You want a gift that's objective and real and visible. Your salvation is not some feeling you've got. It's an objective reality. It's the truth in Jesus Christ. By the way, he uses the same word in Romans eleven twenty nine, when he says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't do a take back on his charismatic gift. On his objective righteousness for you and me. That objective manifestation. No take backs. Now here in chapter 12 verse 6. We've got some what we would call charismatic gifts. And he uses the word charisma for that. Prophecy. Service. Teaching. Exhorting. Contributing. Generosity. Giving. Leading. Acts of mercy. Come back next week. We'll talk about them. Eh, read about that in the paper. Oh, here's a good one. When Paul's talking about whether to be married or single or celibate, he says, uh, I wish everybody were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. Some are celibate, some are not. That's charisma. That's a concrete expression of God's giving. And um, so we see it over and over. By the way, it's uh, interesting to me if... Ah, time. Time. Read about that in the lesson. Oh, those are good ones. Read about those in the lesson. Okay, we got to hit this one. This is a great one. Um, but this is not charisma. I've changed the subject. So let me go back to PowerPoint. Paul on God's gift. Salvation is a basic gift. That was the Ephesians passage. Just plain and simple. By grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. Plain and simple. Everyday, real, common, present. The only time he uses the undoctored word is to make sure that we get that gospel message that the Ephesians needed to hear. That is just vanilla gift. God also gives unique gifts to unique people. They're thoughtful gifts. And he gives gifts that are concrete expressions of his love and his care for you. Now, having said all of that, let me show you one more passage that's really fun. Ephesians 4, 7. Look at this. But grace was given. Grace was given to each of us. Each one of us, according to the measure of 
Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, that's kind of a cool passage. Now that you've got some working knowledge of these words. This word for gift is doria. It's the formal gift. Grace was given to each one of us, Doria, according to the measure of Christ's formal gift. His formal dispensation. His, I, the King of Kings, hereby grant to thee grace. But here's the neat emphasis that Paul gives. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is a word that we'd never covered today because it's not as important in this lesson theme but it's the Greek word doma if you're a Greek writer doma and this Greek word doma actually means the opposite of a free gift it's a gift for payment it's a yeah I'll give you this if you'll give me some money now here's the irony When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul's making a huge turn on this. Because typically what happens when a king conquers a people is those people will pay the king to rescue the captives. And the king receives the payment. He receives the gift. He receives the money. Because he's the conquering hero. Paul says when Christ conquered. Don't get me wrong he says. He's formally given you your grace. But this is the twist of the story Paul says. As the conquering king he goes forth. And instead of collecting these gifts that are due him. By the people he's conquered. He's giving to them. He's giving the people who owe him the money. It's a wonderful God we have who's a giving God. And I can't let the season of giving that we call Christmas time go by without pausing to to look first at a global issue of how Paul writes about gifts before we get into the nitty gritty because God's the greatest giver ever. I was going to tell you a story about 30 Rock. Don't have time. Wrote it up in there. Interesting episode. Reminded me. Anyway, next week, charismatic gifts, points for home. We're justified. We're justified, legal word, declared just, declared not guilty, declared okay. We have release from conviction. We walk the punishment, we walk the crime. We're declared not guilty. We're justified by His grace as a free gift. You didn't bribe the judge for it. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to get good enough for it. Aren't you glad you don't have to come to Jesus and get your life in order before you come? Aren't we thankful? He says, you come to me and I'll get your life in order for you after you get here. Thank God. Thank God. Having gifts, charisma. Now, he's not just talking here about 
charismatic gifts that we think of. He's talking about all the different ways that God has concretely showed his love and his care and his giving for us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's been given to us, let's use them. Let's use them. God gives us gifts for a reason. Use what he's given you. Use it in your life. Use it in the life of your family, your friends, your loved ones, your church. Let everybody see the redeeming God we worship and what he has done in your life. And let's also return next week to look at the charismatic issues and just make that commitment. Okay, I'm going to come back next week and finish this lesson. And then finally, Paul said, and this is a weird passage we didn't have time to get into, but I'll throw it in as a point for home. Help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us. The word translated blessing is charisma. For the, in other words, the prayers, Paul said in some wild, mysterious way, that prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference in the way God's able to show his concrete love. We'll talk about that more, especially as we get into biblical literacy. It comes in real early in Genesis. But it makes a difference. So let's just say we're going to pray for God's will. Would you pray with me as we leave? Lord, we do pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we pray that you would work through us, in us, sometimes even in spite of us. So that we can see the expressions of your will on this planet in the days it has left before you roll it away and create a new heaven and earth. Thank you for everybody here. I pray 2010 will be a year of growth before you. For all of us, our friends, our loved ones. And that we will see your will become more concrete. Even in our midst. Through Jesus we pray, amen.